I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. And you're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Herpeticulture Network. story of our lives nothing nothing works the way it's supposed to ah such is life it's so frustrating i tried so i talked to sky and he said he might be able to hop on a little later but he said he was kind of busy tonight so i was like no big deal if not cool um billy hunt is getting back from disney he's a musketeer even though he works for <laughs> even though he works for Bush Gardens, don't tell anyone. And um, yeah, so it's uh, just you and me tonight, Bubba. I don't know why your voice is digital. I, is, I don't know. know you're lagging because your internet sucks. Am I? Am I really? I mean, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's, it's kind of like a video game voice. Uh, um, I don't know why. YouTube insists on telling me that I'm live on my own channel, but they email me every week and they're like, you're live. Well, dude, I went through and I changed so many notifications on Facebook. Like now you, you now there's like a notification for everything. I was like, why am I getting so much crap? And like, I went into my one Gmail that's linked to the face to my main Facebook page from like, pff, I don't know, 2004 or something. And Dude, there were so many emails of like thousands yeah, of emails of just nonsense. Yeah. I have an old Hotmail account that was like my main email for the longest time since like the tenth grade, and I, I'm kind of scared to open it at this point and look at it because it's like it's probably so jam packed full of stuff. It's ridiculous. Use this. Using my toes. Billy Jenkins says you sound uh. crystal clear, so that's good. Maybe it's you, Phil. Maybe it is storming right now, but but it's, it's always storming. I see the crescent moon on the horizon, which oh, means that the, the werewolves are coming out. Well, well, no, um, that's the full moon, bro. This is a crescent. Um, but that means that the rain's passing me. So knock on wood. Well, knock on wicker because that's what's next to me. No, the uh, the the Florida werewolves wait until the crescent moon. Uh, is that what it is? Yep. We actually, uh, there used to be, I mean, I'm sure it's still a thing, but uh, people used to call it the whale's eye because during winter time, because of the Earth's like rotation, there's one or two moons, uh, there's one or two moon phases in winter where the crescent is completely on the bottom of the moon and it looks like a, like a whale's eye. You know how whales kind of like that sleepy eye? No. It's actually kind of cool. I love astrology. Yes. Yes. No, the Italians come out, Billy Jenkins said. <laughs> Billy Ray Valentine, Capricorn. Oh, well, we're here. It's episode 177 of Snakes wow. and Stogies. Brought to you by fullvisapparel.com. Check it out. Use code THN at checkout. Special discount code just for THN listeners and viewers. Um, this, this Royale with jeans ball python shirt. Is, that was clever. That was very clever. Is up there, and uh, some other stuff. I got a, a couple more designs to sort of finish up and add, and 
all that good stuff. So go get you a shirt, help your boy out. I am. So, side note before we get into the other awesome sponsors of the show, we got a new embroidery machine at work. It is like one of the newest of the new models because my boss managed to find one that someone was selling in like an estate sale for cheap. So he drove up north of Atlanta this weekend to pick it up and brought it back. And this one is supposed to be able to tackle structured hats way better than our older machines. So I'm planning on getting an order of Subak hats. Um, and Ogutti hats together. You know, nothing crazy, a small order. And then I have a Condro hat idea that I started working on that I want to finish so I can get that up there, uh, you know, up there That'd too. That would be cool. So. That would be very cool. For those wanting hats, I am uh, I am working on it actively. So. And which one which one does Skylar have? He has the 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 Gondo He has the Barons. The Barons, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's so I did the I have the Baron I hat. Um I never even really posted those because I just felt so disgusting putting them out there before mm-hmm. having like a rhino hat or something. <laughs> okay. Um and I like I, it would be cool to do a rhino hat but at the same time there's not really a whole lot to work with there pattern wise. So just be a solid green blob that just says the better Rhino. Nice. Nice. So, I don't know, but I do like, I have some, some cool ideas for, for a Condra hat that I've been, I played with a couple months ago and just haven't really revisited. And uh, now that we have three embroidery machines instead of just the two, that definitely helps me not feel so bad when I have an order of things to, to put into production at some point too. So, yeah. Um, I think sort of the game plan with this third machine is to be more hat, like have that one be more catered to hats and then have the other two machines still keep doing their thing as far as like polos and shirts and other things like that. So nice. Should be good. Nice. Keep the ball Um, rolling. Other than that, blackboxcages.com check them out facebook instagram again code thn to check out save yourself just a, a tad just a little bit every little bit counts i don't know i wonder if if people just want the world when they go to order things like it's supposed to be half off or something ridiculous like that this isn't but it's better than nothing shipping's expensive very true no matter very where you true. get your cages from shipping ain't cheap so this is a little bit of a of a hookup uh, and some of the fastest lead times, if not the fastest lead times in the industry. Currently, you order a cage and you get it inside of four weeks. Easy. And, so, you know, it's going to arrive unscathed, which is right. a huge deal for me. We've all gotten stuff. And unfortunately, once it's in the hands of FedEx or UPS, it's. It's in it's in God's hands now at that point because who knows yep. what's going to happen to it. I've seen some some really gnarly stuff happen to, to cages from from previous cage makers that I've purchased from, and I feel bad for them because like they're going to replace the parts and stuff. But it's just one of those things where it's kind of just got to roll those dice if you want to ship stuff, you know. So oh yeah, it's unfortunate. But black box cages, check them out. Uh, whether you like cages, whether you like racks, they have options and plenty of them on both. You won't uh, be dis um, disappointed by either. 
I have both racks and cages and love them. So check those out. And then uh, the fine folks at Puget Sound Pythons. Other way. There you go. Uh, also, give them a follow on, on Instagram and Facebook. They just got their uh, that Dorianus. I don't even know what the common name is on those. Blue tree or blue tail. Blue tail. Blue-tailed? Yeah. yeah. They got a, uh, a Dorianus at. Did they get that at Daytona? No, no. They got, I think they got it by them. Maybe they did. But either way, it's been really cool to see them uh, working with that. And it looks like they. I don't know if they lucked out by just having an, a. a fairly tame individual out the gate or if it's just been that easy for him to get that thing where it is there's a there's a certain how do i phrase this it's i mean i don't want to sound cliche but like there's a vibe in the same way that a lot of people deal with their long-term venomous with like a vibe or like a feeling or like a, a, a calmness and Jeff and Kendra have that. Skyler has that. And now yeah. like I was just seeing all my friends. Like Skyler's got all his monitors and Jeff and Kendra got the blue tail. And like that I see Gron and he's got Kimberly's and like or uh excuse me, not Kimberly's, um uh Mulga's. And dude, like it makes me want to get a monitor again. I'm not going to because I don't have the time or the commitment, but uh but dude, it's it's impressive to see what our friends are really working with and what they're doing. So that's awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna be parting with my Ackies. Oh, really? Yeah, man, it's like it's too much. It's that it, mostly in in space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the way I have things right now in the room, if I did not have that cage there, it would make life much easier. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it it sucks, but it's also one of those things where it's like I, I enjoyed them. I've had them for, you know, a year or two now, two years, and they've been fun, but it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's a tough. I'm tough with you, call, man. But unless, I'm with you. unless the wife lets me move them out of the room, which isn't going to happen, you know, then <laughs> I've got to make a tough call. What's new down in your neck of the woods? Um, nothing too much, man. Nothing too much. Everything's pretty much status quo. Um, my, after about four weeks, my most recent mangrove propagules that I field collected are starting to sprout, which is pretty awesome, man. Pretty awesome. So I can't wait to add them to the the tank that I have already. And, uh, Mangrove, red mangrove tree seeds for anyone who wasn't hip to the lingo. Forgive me. Um, And yeah, man, everything else is just good. I'm still trying to take my time building black box enclosures and figuring out how I want to do, dare I say, rock topiary. Um, I'm going to try and play with some excavator clay and then I kind of want to dry lock it. And I know like that's like, I locked the excavator clay. Yeah. I kind of, what I want to do is I kind of want to make pieces of shale. Oh yeah. And, you know, and what I was thinking about doing it is taking be as heavy. Yeah. Well, I kind of just to, just to, I mean, make like, cause yeah, I don't, I, how do I phrase this? 
for my girdle tails, I went to a nursery, garden center nursery, right? Yeah. That sold like a hardscapes place. Right, right. Yep. And th- this was a landscaping place where they sold like pallets of granite, pallets of shale, you know, pallets of quartz or whatever. And I would literally pick out all these nice little flat pieces that were maybe three quarters of an inch to an inch and mm-hmm. a half in thickness, you know, five to eight inches <clears throat> width. That way I could wrap them up in a towel and then smack them on the ground and break them all up and make little flat jagged rocks. Turn just bigger just, rocks into smaller rocks. Yes. Yes. But I was, I, and honestly, normally the guys that were there, they're like, how much do you have a pound and a half? Dude, just take it. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, yeah, like that's like what four pieces. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, you didn't even buy a whole tile. You know, you know what I mean? So uh, what I was trying to think is if I take and if I was listening, give me some pointers. I was going to take an old cookie sheet. I was going to line it with wax paper and then I was going to smush down the excavator clay flat. Right. And then I was going to just leave a heat lamp on it. So it cracks and looks cool. Right. And then I was going to mm-hmm. paint. I was going to basically pour in dry lock and then flip it and then do the same thing. And see if that would hold, because then if I missed the enclosure or I spray the enclosure and make a pseudo monsoon, the excavator clay isn't going to soften. Yeah. And I mean, I might be out of my mind on this one, but I think it might work. It's worth a shot. Yeah. So I've been kind of playing around with that. I like. Yeah, I like the excavator clay. That stuff was fun. The only time I've used it, it was with uh, some of the dune scorpions that I had, but. That was that stuff was neat. Like watching those dune scorpions do their thing, man, and like make burrows and those things. Like it was cool as hell. Like that's yeah. that stuff's fun. It's it's neat. You can do a lot with that. Yeah, I just feel like you you are limited because I had it. Well, I've always had it with a Gila monster, and it was great. But like if she knocked her water bowl over, I had a I had to make sure that I you know covered that wet excavator clay with sand or um, walnut shavings. Because I was really afraid that she was going to like step in it and then get the excavator clay on her toes and then like cut off circulation. Oh, and like, I'm obviously, I'm probably helicopter momming it, but, <laughs> but that was my fear, at least in captivity, that's, that's a possibility. So I figure if I do this dry locking, it might allow me to do a monsoon or even flood the cage, and not worry about the rocks losing their shape and or becoming malleable or pliable or whatever. So, and uh, I have some ideas for some like Egyptian stuff, and like I kind of want to try and like make some hieroglyphics. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but uh, black box is gonna be so much. I'm like, I sorry, man. I'm 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 digressing in my own mind about how much decor I want to make, and I don't have any free time to do it. So, but that's what's going on in my life. What about you, Bubba? Uh, we are on day one thirty nine of the Jansen. So, on paper, it's supposed to be hatching this weekend. And now that I say that, it kind of sends a, a small jewel to panic because it's like, oh my god, it's happening! It's real. What was your uh, final game plan with Katie in the closet and everything? Um, I don't know yet. Haven't decided. Probably decide the day that I notice it starts hatching. But I think once I see that it's pipped, I'll go ahead and just cover it, like cover the front of the of the incubator, and then I think I'll be okay then. Because um, 
they just got a new office for Katie's job, so she won't be as home, at home as much. Um, okay, but we'll we'll see. I don't. I imagine you worried about it. I imagined you putting a camera on the incubator, and then like every other hour, looking on camera, and then having like an erector set with like a crane claw that like <laughs> drops a rag over the window or ra- drops a towel over the window. That when the minute you see a pip, you just press the button and it just automatically drops the towel. <laughs> no, I mean I did want to figure out a way to put a camera in there so I could like watch, like check on it while I'm at work with not you know when I'm not there. But um, I don't think I can do that and not ruin the camera because of the incubator and the humidity and stuff. I just I don't know concern yeah yeah other than that um baby rhinos are proving to be difficult okay not as difficult as alterna but uh so i i gave him those rosy reds that first round and i had almost all of them take on their own over the course of a couple days uh and so then this week i was like let me change it up I'll get some zebra Danios because they're like a really good size. They're I think two dollars and thirty cents a piece. They're nothing crazy. Um, thinking maybe that would be a better option than the rosies. And so far, I have five zebra Danios just chilling in water bowls. Nice, nice. I saw that coming. So I don't know what the difference is. I don't know if it's because those Danios move a lot faster than the rosies do. Um. Did but, you put a perch across the bowl? No. You got to do that. You I gotta... don't have any way of doing that. Well, I take that back. Jake has some the same wire stuff he's been using for his rat snakes. He's got some of that. He's going to give me some. The the plastic mesh? No, this is like a, a coated wire. Okay. That's, well, that I serves a similar the, purpose. I told you the McDonald's straw trick, right? Yes. Yeah, dude. Or even or even better yet, like... Uh, uh, the problem is, would just cut some wooden dowels and just. Yeah, those get those probably get all moldy though. There's not a ton of space in these tubs to be able to like I don't I'm, the the wire thing from Jake would be the best bet because then I can bend it to whatever height I need it to be, and make it work. But I don't see why the perch would make much of a difference when they like they'll either hang out on the side of the water bowl or in the water bowl itself. You know, it just may be a a vantage point in their mind. Like, if it was me, I would Maybe. even just stick a McDonald's straw, just throw one in there loose, like, lay it across the, the bowl so, like, it won't roll off. You know what I mean? That seems like a great way for one of them to get stuck in it. Yeah, Knowing my luck, that would happen because these things are small. They could probably fit in one of those McDonald's straws without, without issue. And that day will not end with me having to cut one out. So, Fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I did put some mouse tails in a few of them. <clears throat> Went ahead. So a couple, couple, two weeks ago or so, I was thawing out some some rat uh, like crawlers, uh, and I went ahead and cut the tails off while they were frozen, and then saved them in a bag, and uh, thawed out a couple of those, and and assist fed a few, and two of them ended up giving it back. So. Really? Whatever. The other three kept it down. Damn. Um, 
I mean, it's, it's no big deal. It's it is what it is. I'm a firm believer that that this is feeding tails thing is less stressful than tease feeding and all this other stuff. I, I agree. Think it's, um, it's just they're easier to get down to. I don't know if you've ever tried to assist feed like parts of a mouse, uh, like a leg or things like that. It's 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 really freaking difficult. And so a tail is just streamlined. It just you know if you're gentle and you you know just slides right down. Yeah, no problem. So. I prefer to do that and just get it over with. Fair enough. Uh, I actually, I, I, I'm Condro sitting right now. Oh, really? For my buddy Justin, who lives, you know, on the other side of the county from me, but he's he's here. Um, I'm watching his his collection for a week, two weeks or so, um, while he's away at work, and um, he has a, a clutch of Condros that. I had I fed today. That's what I ended up doing. I left work and went over there and fed some of them. Some of them are already rocking and rolling, and then there's a couple of them that aren't. So uh, I cut some tails and, and did some tails today. I think he's done like mouse legs and some other stuff. And I just, to me, it's just so much faster. Just get a tail in there and move on, you know. And, and this is assist feeding all of them. Just the ones that haven't been that aren't taking on their own. Oh, okay. Okay. You know? Which I think is like five out of. 12 maybe so nice nice not a ton it's it's much more stressful when they're they're not yours oh yeah where are you so, keeping them oh i'm going to his house like i'm, I'm oh okay to his place and do what i need to do and then you know oh, okay carry on so that's cool at least you don't have to bring them into your house you know mm-hmm. yeah so good stuff man that um this second hypo corn clutch still hasn't hatched yet, and they're due to pop like any day now. I don't know what the what the holdup is. Really? Yeah, they're taking their time. So, found a slug in the Jansen eye cage yesterday. Really? You think that was just like the last one to go? No, this was like this was not there a week ago. No, no, I'm saying like like it it was in there from when she laid, and like she finally just passed it. I don't think so. This was under okay. their under their hide. It wasn't even in the box. No, no, no. I'm saying like she laid. How many weeks has it been since she laid the egg? The slug. No, no. The, 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 the clutch. The the the, the, the clutch. May second. Right. So maybe it took this many weeks, if not months, for her to pass that shitty ovum. I don't know. I think I would have noticed that. Yeah, I mean, how how often do you palpate her? And even even still, even if you did palpate her, it could have been just mushy and took time to Maybe. purge. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Tim Fryson asked if I cohab my Jansen I year round. I do. They do get cohabbed. I think with stuff like that, I think it's just easier um, with you know oxies and Jansen I. <clears throat> as far as like if you're trying to get them to breed, it's it's just. Instead of trying to make sure you're timing things right and whatnot, I think it's best to just keep them together. It's kind of. Are you feeding them in separate containers? No, no. Usually, I'll feed them in there, and you know, one will grab and the other will grab. Like they're not, they're not always in the same spot. Usually, like usually, uh, the female will be under the high, the male's in like the cork ground, whatever. Um, and then sometimes, like the other day, I, I went to go feed them. I think it was Sunday, Saturday. Um. 
I thought out some some younger rats that I had called off because they were males and I was male heavy and you know usually I can just dangle it and sort of sort of jiggle it in front of that cork round and one of them will grab it and, yeah you know hit it hard and I got nothing from either end of the cork round so I was like okay and checked under the high they weren't in there checked in the other cork round that sits vertically that sometimes the male likes to hang out in nothing there so I was like okay and so I just ended up leaving one on top of the the egg box slash human hide and then one just hanging on one of the branches and um the female ate because the male was out earlier today and he didn't have a lump in him and that that rat would have left a decent lump so the female ate male didn't but cool that's fairly was, fairly was common both, both rats gone no no uh, just the one. Uh, oh okay good good i took the other one out and, and fed it to the bigger that male chondro um, yeah i'm uh i'm the only animals I'm cohabiting right now is uh, broadband copperheads. And so far I've been doing the, the stupid thing of f- feeding them both in the enclosure and then standing there motionless, making sure they don't eat each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, they have enough meals in them. They have enough weight on them. I'll separate and hopefully they'll eat. And if they don't, oh, well, I'll wait a week and try it again. But it just sucks, man, because, like, every time I go to feed, like, I feel like it's taking me 30, 40 minutes with these four snakes. You know? Yeah. It's just frustrating. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't feed, like, the chondros. If I have two chondros together, I learned that lesson real quick, that feeding them when they're together is a really bad idea because they just get so excited and so, like, amped up that yeah, if it moves, they're going to go for it. And if that happens to be their their partner. Yeah it sucks because they grab and they wrap and they think it's food. And so they're like on it and it takes a, a lot to get them to realize it's not. Um, and then if one, you know, if, if you don't have any issues there, like, and they're both eating, the issue then arises where one will finish way sooner than the other one will. And then they see this other one moving and they think that it's food again because it's chondros and you feed them. And then they, they go right back to perching and caudal luring. Like you didn't just feed them. Right, and so if it moves, they're going to go for it, and it's just. I now I chondros when I'm feeding them because I've had at least twice where it was like, why did I do this? It's such a bad idea, you know. So everything else, I don't really worry about too much. The the rhinos, I so the adult rhinos that pair I have together, those get a little hairy, um, because they do get super excited about food as well. Uh, so what I need to start doing is separating them to feed them because they just get again they just they go nuts yeah uh, that same thing happened a couple weeks ago where where the male had finished his way sooner than the female did and then he seeing her moving and stuff like went right over and grabbed her no geez i had to grab him and separate them and it was just a hassle anything else i don't have any problems with but yeah yeah, see, I got, I've been getting lucky. I uh, the last two feedings with those broadbands, I uh, I just went. I opened the drawer, and they're sitting next to each other. So what I'll do is I'll take the first. Uh, I'm feeding them X breeders, so the first uh, X breeder mice. So the first X breeder goes to whichever snake is keyed in on me, and then I'll put it to the side and kind of get their attention to the side. And then I have another set of hemostats with the other one in my left hand, my other hand. So I'm basically like akimbo 
feeding these ex breeders at the same time, but I'm not doing like teasing. I'm literally just placing it in front of each snake, mm-hmm. and then I'll just back up and just stand there. And I actually have a little drum thrown in in that in the snake room, and I just sit on the drum throne and just stare at them. And they kind of stare at me, and then like, oh, I'm supposed to eat this. Oh, uh, all right, cool. And they eat it, and then I'm like, all right, and I close the drawer and I go to the next one. But wasting 30, 40 minutes on four snakes is, uh, and it's not even like I'm getting to enjoy the animal, like take it out and work with it and take pictures. No, I'm literally just staring at them. <laughs> so it's kind of kind of frustrating. But I think I might try putting them in, leave one in the drawer put one in a container and feed in the container like maybe even leave it in there overnight and then in the morning put them back and then the next week swap animals see which one's more receptive to that style i just i just need to do it i need to see if jake has any extra chicks because i think i might try chick down on some of those condos that that justin has over there that aren't taking because yeah that worked wonders for me. I don't know. We'll see. But the ones that are eating, man, those things are, are little monsters. They're they're definitely chondros in that regard. So nice, nice. But this is the closest I'll get to to having my own babies anytime soon. So I'm living vicariously through him. <laughs> yeah, never say never. You'll have soon enough. I'm man, I'm trying that male is trying like crazy. The females aren't giving it up, but it's also early still in the year for them to yeah. be making it happen. So I'm gonna keep ping ponging him between girls to see which one gets the job done first. So we'll see. But a, a, a good strategy. Yeah, I, uh... I mean again, like maybe I'm I'm just maybe I'm lazy when it comes to, to pairing things, but I'm firmly of the opinion that the male will know when she's ready way better than I will, so put him in there, let him do his thing. When you realize they're gravid, pull him, and he's clearly got the job done, so. Yep. Yep. Problem solved. Yeah, man. I I went and I was doing, you know, every couple days I just check everybody and and go through my, my stuff, and I check on the female adult puff, and Anyone who's heard a puff adder in person, it's a very bold, very deep, rasping puff sound, which is where they get their name from. Well, I open the drawer and she lets out like a wheeze, kind of like, uh, you know how carpet pythons have like that wheeze to them every once in a while? Yep. When they get excited. Yeah. And it's not even like a sick thing. It's just like a. uh, Yeah. If you're not used to it, it freaks you the fuck out. Oh, my God. It's a respiratory infection. And then you realize they do that every time you take them out. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always just like once or twice. And then the minute you start playing with them, they're fine. So I open the drawer and she lets out this horrible wheeze. And I was like, oh, my God, she's got respiratory from being in this drawer. She's breathing in her piss vapor. What have I done? And. And I realized, no, she's rolled in a ball, like a ball python. And I was like, let me see. So, like, I just give her a poke with the snake hook. She springs into a- springs into action and then makes out a normal puff sound. And I was like, all right. So, it, it, just, it was fascinating to me that she needed her body open yeah. more to, yeah. to inflate and get that appropriate tone, if you will, that quintessential tone. And uh, I thought it was very interesting, but dude, there was a hot minute. I was like, "Oh my god, what have I done? I killed my snake!" Oh no! Freaking treating all eyes and stuff in venomous sounds like a 
flipping nightmare. Oh, it's the worst, man. I uh my 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 last adult female West African gaboon wound up getting an RI and uh it was it was bad, man, and we did batrial injections and it was temperature raising and she couldn't keep food down and it was mm. it was just a mess, man. So I I would I would preach to everyone who keeps venomous, just watch your stuff, take note of things, don't let it get to that point. Don't be like me and say, ah, she's fine, and then one day she's not. And so I try not to ever make that mistake again, you know. Giving Batril to, to any any venomous really, but you know, a big bitus in particular, like pass. Yeah. Yeah, she was uh she was all of five foot and uh probably about probably thicker than your forearm and uh like bicep thickness, no, normal person bicep thickness. And uh I would have Henry come over and, and we would Henry would help me restrain her in a large tube and give her the injection and it wasn't so bad. Be- I mean, it sounds horrible. It wasn't so bad because she was so weak. She really didn't put up a fight. Yeah. But uh, but that was tough, man. That was real tough. I so. mean, there's definitely like for whatever reason, Batril is is painful. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty hardcore drug, but I mean, it works. It works well. <clears throat> but it just it sucks because I you know I had to give it to to that same adult male chondro that I fed that rat to you know a couple years ago, and you can tell that it definitely doesn't feel good because it's like as soon as you inject it they just start to like flinch and tense up and things like that and then it leaves that scar uh, which he still has like he still has the mark from where he got it really um yeah yeah that stuff's i don't know what it what it is doing there to cause like that localized sort of necrosis for lack of a better word but right it uh, either leaves like a black mark or it just leaves like a scar. And his has just been this scar where there's like no scales growing in that spot. Damn it. But it works. It, it sucks, but it works. What are you smoking this evening? Oh, geez. I didn't even realize I wasn't even paying attention. Um, I probably should light this thing up, right? Um, I don't remember. Was it, I don't know if it was last week or week before we were talking about um, Ultra Q. And I had one in the box, so that's what we're going oh, with. Oh wow! I hadn't seen one of those in a minute. I know, right? The we all. Now I see it says 08 on the bottom. That's not from two thousand eight, is it? No, that was like they came in the box of, uh, like the box they came in. It was had something to do with like the Mayan calendar or something. It was almost like a. What's those damn things at Christmas that they have? Advent calendars. Advent calendar, yeah. It's almost something similar to that. I don't know. It has there's some intricate backstory to it that was like wonderful. Just give me the cigar so I can smoke it. Yeah, but uh, I forgot I had it. I, I I remember buying probably three or four of them at once just to have them. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, man. So that's what we're gonna go with tonight. So. I'm I'm rocking a Perdomo Lot 23 Maduro. Nice. I saw that band. I saw that little blue and white earlier. Yeah, they up updated them two years ago or so, and it's much more uh, eye catching because it's holographic, like a Pokemon card. Because that's what brands have to do now to stand out is make it look like Blue Eyes White Dragon. <laughs> I, I think it's cool. It's a, it's a good little cigar. It's good smoke. Nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, 
had something else. Have you gotten your um, Leonis to eat yet? No, no. Um, and I got to check because I did flash boil of a blood pink. So we'll see uh, later if uh, she took it. I'm hoping that she did. I talked to Chris yesterday and, uh, and, and by no means do I feel like she's in any kind of jeopardy. She still has great body weight. She still looks alert, tongue flicking. She's still mm-hmm. pooping. Um, but I know Harry had issues with one of his too. Um, but the rest of Harry's were, are all eating and solid. I think Chris was telling me that most of his that he got didn't eat or wasn't, weren't, weren't feeding when Chris uh, sold it to him. Right. So, right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I got the one that I think was eating, and that thing's rock and rolling, dude. That thing's had like five meals already. Nice. Yeah, dude, you feed your stuff way more than I do, man. And like Billy Hunt always breaks my stones about how I underfeed stuff, but <clears throat> babies I try to do at least once a week, if not 10 days. But on adult stuff, I only do it two, maybe three times a month. Uh, it just depends on no, the species. No, I'm the same way. Okay. I just, I just feel like your baby stuff eats way more than mine, man. Well, like that Leonis and then that little zombie Motley that I got at Daytona. Right. And then like those in particular, like they're small. And so I'm kind of trying to get some size on them to where I can get them up to something a little bigger and cut them back a little bit. Um, Everything else. I mean, minus like the, the corn babies that aren't eating as far as like the Castagna Motley pets and things like that. Um, which there's a couple of them that aren't eating for whatever reason, but they're fully willing to try and kill me. Nice. Uh, I don't know sort of what the, what the deal is there. I haven't tried boiled yet. I need to go to Walmart and get a, like an old, not an old, but a, a Pyrex that I can dedicate to, to boiling pinks and try that because. Well, so I don't do actual boiling and maybe that's where I've made mistakes in the past, but I do the flash boil trick where I'll take an old coffee cup I'll put about a third or even half filled with water. I'll microwave the sucker for like a minute or two minutes to get it near boiling. And then the minute you throw the frozen, the minute you throw the frozen pinky in it, it immediately flash boils from the temperature change. And mm-hmm. that's worked for me. So. Yeah, I just don't want to, like, if I steal one of Katie's coffee cups and say, hey, this is mine now, that's not going to go over well. So I'd just go to Walmart and get a Pyrex or something uh, for cheap and then write on it with a Sharpie or something and say, like, do not use this. Yeah, put um, a dishwasher. Use fine. it if you want to, but. Yeah, just put it in the dishwasher. I don't know, man. I'm, know. Still, I'm still weird about that. I don't. Come on, I like man. The, the separation between the church and state, man. <laughs> Got it. It's got to be something. I mean, I, I know they won't use like take it and use that. Like my scissors that I have in the room, which I find sacred, they walk off all the time. And I'm like, y'all have your own scissors. Use your own scissors. Stop taking my scissors. I feel like scissors is different. You know what I mean? Not, you're not, they're you're just not... too lazy to look for the regular pair, but they no, know no, mine are going to be in the same spot every day. So they go. So and like, take... I have cuticle scissors for doing my rat cuts. I clean and sanitize them, but they, they stay in the snake room. I'm not going to use them to, well, first of all, they're very tiny because they're cuticle scissors, but even if I had bigger scissors, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assimilate them with normal kitchenware, you know, but like a coffee cup, like it's, it's porcelain. It's, it's, you know, it's ceramic, whatever it's coated. Let's put a dishwasher. Nope. 
pass. But I do need to try that. I need to try that on uh on some of those corn babies. Cause that um so in that hypo clutch that I'm I'm doing the cut study on six still has not taken. Oh wow. And I think it is last week was the first or second week that it is lost weight. Not anything crazy, but uh I put a tail in it the other day just to because now like I'm at a point now with this particular animal where like I'm curious. Like we know now I can have an idea of what it looks like when they're not taking off and when they're not eating in comparison to the rest of the clutch, which is like skyrocketing. Right. But now I put a tail in it after it has not had a, a meal. I gave it a tail like two or three weeks ago, but now I can look at that and see what does a tail do. Granted, it's one animal, so maybe it's not the best thing to be going by, but it'll give um, you an idea. It'll give you an idea. So I'm curious to see what that does as far as, um, what what weight looks like this weekend um you know it's like i'm taking this opportunity of this animal that does not want to take off to sort of see what what does make a difference and and have an idea at least of when you are giving things tails that aren't taking off like what does it what does it do like realistically what is it getting out of that if anything right right so we'll see that's good probably have a few random plastic cups from a restaurant or sports venue those work great as mouse cups we don't use them for drinking yeah i use like a a, one of those opaque not opaque but translucent um paint buckets like the plastic ones get those at the hardware store for super cheap i use those but i actually have two wonton soup containers you know the 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 one quart wonton soup container you get from chinese takeout and i have them in in, under my sink and uh, i'll just fill them with as hot as it gets sink water and thaw my, my rat pinks and rat pups and fuzzies in that, you know, that's what I do. And then like on days where like, I got to go do something. So like Sunday, yesterday, um, I was it yesterday. might've been Saturday. I think it was Saturday. Um, I was thawing stuff out and I had a lot to thaw. And so sometimes I'll just put them in cold water and then go do whatever I need to come do. And then by the time I come back, they're like thawed, thawed, and I just heat them up with hot water, you know, the same way that you, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think I, I did that. I thawed stuff, and then I rode out to Justin's to check on his on everybody, and then I came back, and that's when I just fed stuff. So. <laughs> Billy Jenkins says, pink drop soup. <laughs> oh, Jenkins. Yeah, I need to do that. uh this weekend, go get me a Pyrex measuring cup or something from old Wally World. Yeah. I still have a, a, a bullet blender that I bought specifically for making lizard scent, and I never had to use it. So, hmm. yeah. I got lucky on that one. Still in, still in the box. I'm sure one day I'll crack it open for something. But... We have to talk about yes. how you talk to O'Shea. Ah, yes. May I refill my beverage first? It's Please. It's very hot in South Florida. Excuse me. Embrace the pain. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Sweat out the fury. I got that dog in me. 
yeah, I tried brained with some of those corns that aren't taken. No reaction. Um, I tried. I think I tried sending with frog leg. No reaction. I don't. They're just. There's a couple of them that are just holding out, and that's like we'll get it figured out. But the difference now in the ones that are taking off versus the ones that aren't is is pretty substantial. Take a shot. Become one with the heat. Become the heat. I did. And then there was another video of one that looked like it was uh, Leukistic. <clears throat> yeah, Lisa, we were just about to talk about that. I listened to it today. It was freaking awesome. I'm actually, I'm like super jealous um, that they got to, got to do that. What were, first thing I want to know is what were, like, when were you up and recording time zone wise? Like it must've been earlier in the day on like a Saturday or something, right? Yes. So uh, my days off are Wednesdays and Sundays. So most of the Venom Exchange radio uh, episodes that we do or Wednesday afternoons into Wednesday evening, depending on where it is. So Nipper is um, five hours ahead of us. And then as you go east of the UK into Europe and Asia, you add, oh, geez, I think it's like one or two hours for every longitudinal line, something to that extent. Like Greece is eight hours ahead. Um, Israel's mm -hmm. nine hours which it's which is interesting because it continues to the southern hemisphere. So you, you, if you're talking to someone in in Durban per se or Nairobi, it's still going to be nine point five or or ten hours ahead. Right. Yeah. Um, so like when we do with uh, we do stuff with people in Australia, it's usually my like seven a.m. for me. So then it's seven. So it's like noon for Nipper and then evening time for the Aussies. However you want to choreograph it. So, yeah. So did you guys record both parts? Excuse me while I wipe my, my mustache. Um, well, now that you just gave a spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't listened to it, there will be Sorry. two parts. Spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler alert. There will be two parts. Um, yeah, let's start from the beginning. So Venom Exchange Radio, myself and Nipper, we just did episode 18 with the legendary Mr. Professor, excuse me, Mark O'Shea, world-renowned herpetologist, um, master herper, TV personality author, the, the man among men. Um, we were scheduled to do episode two as of right now, like as of today, we have not recorded episode two as of yet. Um, it's probably going to be in the next two or three weeks just so that I can have it ready for next month. Um, cause we try to do like at least an episode a month. Um, and then I have some more secret stuff with Mark that'll be announced after that, that is not recorded yet, but we have some fun stuff coming up. So we'll leave it at that. He's one of those guys, man. I could just listen to him talk for hours, like. The, the thing that blows my mind 
with guys like him in particular is like just the amount of stuff they've done and seen in their in their lifetime. Yeah, man, it's it's insane. Like the number of species. Yeah. And animals they've worked with. Discoveries, man. Yeah, you know. It's... I mean, he's he's he is the sole reason for finding Antaresia in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Like incredible. Um, Tyson asked, "Does anyone know where to find the old episodes of, of of his show?" And I think, and another podcast that he was on at some point not that long ago, within the last like year or two, it might have been the conversation he had with Dan Maleri. Um, I don't remember exactly what the reasoning was for why they're not available. Uh, I'm trying to. Remember. My understanding it is um. A particular copyright from the producers and they haven't yet come to a marketing venue like Netflix or Hulu or what have you. I'm sure it's going to come in the near future. Um, there was a bunch of episodes on YouTube that were free and they all got taken down for obvious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. There still is episodes on there that are on personal accounts that are like not monetized, just like people sharing right. fun. Right. And it's clearly a camera pointed at a television. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it, you can still, I think there's probably like seven or eight episodes on there. So you can definitely check it out. Yeah, because it's been, man, I, I remember watching some of them as a kid. I didn't catch a lot of them for some reason. I don't remember what the, you know, why, but. Um, there's episodes that he's talked about that I don't even remember hearing about or seeing. So it's yeah. one of those things like I, I was curious myself, Tyson, as far as availability of those. And even if they had them on like DVD, I'd still buy them. Like if they were available yeah. in that capacity. Absolutely. It's kind of surprising that any of those companies involved wouldn't, wouldn't look at that and say like, there's, there's a whole group of nerds that are ready to give their money over to us for these like well the reason the same reason why we love it because there was no pomp and pomp and flair is the reason why people didn't watch it because it wasn't the same as some other shows that had the 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 popping and the the fireworks so to speak i think we're we're kind of at a point now where though it's almost like the opposite where people are wanting yeah. They're tired of the over-the-top bullshit. They're tired yeah. of the YouTube bullshit. They're tired of all... Like, they want normal fucking people on their screen, <clears throat> myself included. Um, and I think we all, you know, especially now, have a better appreciation for the fact that he did that. You know, as a kid, yeah, when the Irwin's on TV and you're like, oh my god, I gotta see him, you know, tail a black mamba that's twice yeah. as long as he is. Like, yeah. As a kid, you're like, this is awesome. But then as you get older, you're like, you see some of that stuff. And you're like, yeah, there's no way that he just conveniently came across. Right, right. But that's not, Cobra, you know, but that's not that's not to take away from Irwin and Austin Stevens. And those were not great, at all. those were great guys. They were masters of their of their their um, discipline, you know, as Philip Leeds says. And it. They had some. They had to plant stuff to keep stuff going, and it was a different show. And I, 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 yeah. I don't want to take away from 
the education from with them and i don't want to take away from the conservation because whatever your opinion is of those individuals it brought all of us on it brought all of us more in in into the fold so to speak you know what i mean it made us excited it gave us a thirst for knowledge and adventure and that's what it's all about man you know i yeah. love it so i enjoyed austin stevens stuff i, I think yeah. more like i appreciated his stuff in the fact that like the cinematography and how cinematic he made it. Like, yeah. it, was, it was like you were watching a freaking movie. Like, yeah, just the, the amount of work that went in there and like sort of making it feel like the, the grandiosity of it all. Um, you know, I, I liked that a lot and I think I have his book somewhere. Or had it. Yeah. He had an autobiography uh, I, that I and I attribute uh, a, a good majority of my infatuation with Africa to, to Austin Stevens and, because the majority of the episodes are on that continent simply because, you know, he's South African and yeah. was he, he was a Namibian, Namibian, Namibian. Yeah. And, uh, get, maybe we could see about getting him on. I don't know. He's got Parkinson's. He got diagnosed. Oh, with Parkinson's really? A couple of, couple of years ago. Yeah. That's a shame, man. But yeah, dude, O'Shea, uh, I mean, I was speechless for a lot of it. And I don't, like I was listening, like how are you not asking a million questions about like it's it, it had to be so hard to just there was, not. I'll put it this way: go down rabbit holes. There was a lot that I cut out. There was a lot I cut out um, because it it we we talked about a lot of stuff, man, and a lot of it wasn't even pertaining to, to snakes, you know. But the guy is the most down to earth individual ever, and he's a he's an an awesome guy man like i know it sounds fangirly but like he's an he's awesome he's so brilliantly smart and so articulate and and just down to earth you know like 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 lisa was saying in the in the chat she she loves how down to earth he is he he really is just down to earth man well i think it's a, a big part of it too is like he's he's one of us yeah absolutely like he he's I don't know. Uh, it's not like a lot of TV guys. There's a disconnect. Yeah. From like her pediculture and. Well, and that's the thing. I don't think he, he, he wasn't a TV guy. He was he a wasn't, her that I mean, they put like, on TV. In terms of that stuff, like Corwin and Irwin and those guys, like their their focus was much more broad in terms of like wildlife and biology in general. But I feel like with O'Shea, it's like, nah, we're here for we're here for reptiles. Like this is what yeah. I do. Like yeah. all the other stuff is cool, but I'm not gonna show you wombats. I'm gonna show you rough scale pythons, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah, one absolutely. of those things. And him talking about, you know, being into like him enjoying fossorial stuff just as much, you know, getting saying talking about the, you know, the the Trinidad the skinks and saying like Yeah. I find those just as interesting as Komodo dragons and like other bigger <laughs> stuff. Like he's one of us. Like that's one of the, that's what, that's what I appreciate the most, you know, is like, he, he gets it. Yeah. He knows like the fact that he's willing and excited to talk to people in, in her pediculture, mm -hmm. you know, on like to, on the, on the, the way he did with you guys, you know, it's awesome because I think there's also a lot of disconnect between the academic side and the private sector in terms of like, I think of we course. talked about it briefly in the past. There's not a lot of mingling that goes on there. There's yeah, a and, crossover and, that goes on there. 
as much as as much as Loafman tries to be the liaison between the two, and he does a fantastic job of it, I feel like people that get to talk to Mark and and really listen to what he has to say, he is a beautiful liaison between those two worlds. Yeah, and just merging them together, you know. And I think that's a big reason why you know he wrote the foreword for for Zach's book. Yeah. So, and to be honest, uh, listening to him say Mikropika Sikahaka, uh, excuse me, Ikahika, over and over again is hilarious. It's like his favorite snake, and he says it over and over again with his accent. It's glorious. I love it. Yeah, man. Um, like. There's just so many stories I want more information on because he wrote, you know, he had that that venomous snakes of the world book that he put yeah. out years ago that I I've, I I've got it. I freaking read that thing cover to cover. I don't know how many times. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd have little excerpts on given like species and stuff where he'd talk about like, you know, he got bit by that species and this is what I experienced. Like there's stuff like that that I just I'm really interested to hear about. Um uh, at the same time, I feel like it's almost it's it's almost like asking a war vet about people they've killed. You know, it's like yeah, it's not. It's you not don't really thing. you don't really want to ask them because it's probably a nah, subject. It, but it, you're so curious at the same time. And I feel like he he's he's cool with telling those stories because although it may have been traumatic or embarrassing to him and, and not a badge of honor like so many people mistake it for. Um, it's about the journey and the knowledge gained from it. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that that's why he is so cool about opening up to some of that stuff, like his timber rattlesnake bite and so on because of the learning experience. And he may not directly say, do this, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. It's, you can hear it in the tone of his voice. Like, yeah. Kind of draw your own conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. Learn, learn from my mistakes. Did you ask him about the Atricodatus? I did not. Damn it. I did not. You should have. I don't know. That's that's something I always found interesting too, because I've you know he had talked about that horridus bite in in the venomous snakes of the world, and uh, of all the animals and stuff across the world that he's he's dealt with and handled, I did find it fascinating that a horridus is one of the ones that almost did him in, like was yeah. very close to killing him. Yeah, you know, and it's wild, and I just I don't know. There's there's those kind of things and those stories. I'm. I'm really interested to hear more about, and I'm even more interested to hear about too, like stories of being in all these countries, you know, surely he's had some, some fairly shady experiences in a lot of those. Yeah. Like I said, we, we talked about a lot of stuff off air and uh, it was a monumental experience for me. And I know for Nipper too, and Nipper, Nipper talks to him pretty frequently. And, uh, it's the picture that he paints when mm-hmm. telling a story and the attention to detail that he retained all yeah. these years later. And uh, obviously he's older than us and I'm not trying to be insulting to the man, but I think back in that time span in my own life and it's difficult for me to recall details of certain stories, but he remembers everything and it's so vivid and it he's amazing i mean i can't speak high, speak enough about him yeah that's he's he's one of those guys man i feel like there you couldn't record enough episodes 
to to cover everything, you know. Like there's just so much that guy's done and so many places he's been and species he's seen. Um like where where the hell do you start and where the hell do you end, you know? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, when Nipper and I were kind of mapping out how we wanted to do this episode with him. You know, we talked to him ahead of time and and basically our, our for those who haven't listened yet, we kind of do a, a, a lap of the globe in terms of memorable tales and, and stories from his legitimate adventures. And <clears throat> part two will dive more deep, dive more deep, dive more deeply excuse me into the rest of the planet that we haven't talked about mm-hmm. and then we, we're probably going to circle back and, and and keep things kind of targeted um because we all have species that he's worked with that he's experienced that he's studied that we want to know about and uh like i said we're gonna have some more content in the future that will be more uh interactive if you will so Keep 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 everybody posted. And uh, Jeff and Lisa, thank you so much for your comments. I really appreciate that, guys. Yeah, Jeff uh, brings up a good a good point too, and I agree with him. He he would love to hear an episode with Mark on the concept of quote unquote mildly venomous and rear fang species. He probably has great stories on the outcome of those bites in situ. Uh, I know you guys talked about Boyga briefly. Yeah, which I thought was neat. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah, I made sure to bring that up because he, he just worked on that paper. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very, very cool stuff, man. Super niche, super niche. And for those of you who are unaware, they recently split uh, Boyka species in Southeast Asia. So um, uh, go check it out. Marco Shea's. Uh, is the paper out? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. how recent? This year. I'll have to hunt that down. I wonder if that's the one with the... that phylogeny the breakdown there but that might have been i don't think he was an author on that i don't remember seeing i think i think uh it was i think it was june maybe okay yeah relatively recent so i'm curious yeah and i know uh lisa asks about new guinea and uh we have lots of questions for him about new guinea and and i know he wants to go more in depth because new guinea is his second home Yeah. yeah so the man wrote the book on it. So, and uh, I don't know if this is a secret or not, but he is working on a revised version. So, uh, everyone keep their eyes peeled for that in the near future. Yeah, because small eyed snakes were like a big, big focus of his for a long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. He loves Micropicus and uh, he wound up deep diving onto some of the other fossorial species in northern New Guinea on the Erangia side um, in terms of specimens that were only known from three or four individual mm-hmm. museum specimens. And I think he uh, he mentioned in the podcast, I can't remember how many, but I think he like tripled it on his own. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. The man's done a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So definitely anyone who hasn't listened, Venom Exchange Radio, episode 18 with Mark O'Shea, definitely give it a listen. It was a lot of fun, man. And I, it's it was an honor to have him on the show. It really was. Again, it's just it's so awesome that he's he's like more than willing to to do that kind of stuff. And like he enjoys talking about it. It didn't. Yeah, it never at any point listening to it. <clears throat> 
seemed like it felt to him like it was a chore, just like he was kind of going through the motions. Like he's no. clearly invested in the conversation and like what you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. That and that I, speaks volumes to me. I don't I, I really feel that it, it did help having Nipper kind of be a, an icebreaker because uh, they have spoken so many times before. And uh I'm sure that helped a lot. But at the same time, he's also not not to toot my own horn. He's not talking to someone who is a first time keeper. You know what I mean? This we're we're trying to trying to keep the conversation elevated to a certain extent without being too. Yeah, too. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, But I feel like I get the vibe that he doesn't get to do it as often as he'd like. Yeah. And that was great. You know what I mean? Is to talk snakes and just have a good chuckle. And that's what it's all about, man. It's why we do what we do, you know? So I think guys like him, uh, that are sort of that sort of straddle that that line of, of academia and the private sector, especially the guys that, that have been doing it for as long as he has, uh I don't think they get a whole lot of credit in terms of like their their impact on her pediculture. No, I don't think they do. I really don't think they do. And they, and and they need to be they need to be told, man. You know? Yeah. And, and and I I think Nipper and I tried to do that in the best way we could without without calling the man old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh just because even though Nipper is considerably older than than us, um he was still youthful when it came out just like us that's see that made me laugh when i heard that because yeah. like, oh, i wouldn't you just say you know trying to make it sound old but i enjoyed watching you when i was young and i'm like <laughs> you were like 30 when that shit was out get out of here <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but it's great man it's great. you're not fooling anybody i uh i really hope to make it to one of his lectures at some point you know, while he's still doing them. And uh, I feel that as technology progresses and more things become, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not simulcast. Um, more things get posted, more things get streamed. Mm-hmm. We can watch more lectures and more symposiums and more expos and learn more and yeah. share the knowledge and, I do, and I mean, I guess I kind of understand why some of the more scientific or academic conferences and stuff like that don't get streamed because some of that stuff hasn't been fully published yet, and so they're trying not to like release information before it's sort of official. Right. Um, but I definitely wish more conferences and and talks and things like that were were streamed and available. Yeah. Uh, even after the fact, like maybe like it's live, but they've recorded them and then they upload them after the right. event's over. So, like, right. It would be awesome if they did that. I wish I, you know, I wish that was more of a thing, um, especially just with the, the ones we have here, you know, like IHS and, um, yeah. you know, the, the various venomous ones that, that they have throughout the year. Um, yeah, even the gecko symposium at, at, at our NARBC, like yeah. it kills me. It kills me every year that I can't see that. So. And this year they got a, a hell of a panel, you know, Devojale, Julander. It's going to be mm-hmm. an awesome symposium. So I, I, I'd like to be able to at least get some of it, you know. Yeah, I'm just. I mean, it, you think about the the 
effort it takes to do that. It's really not a lot. Like, I can't think of any reason not to. Again, even if it's if it's after the set event is over, like it's maybe it, it, I don't. It could be the people that are organizing it just think it's more difficult than it actually is. But I, I have a feeling that it has I know a there's lot to do. plenty of people that'll be more than willing to set that up and do it. Yeah, and I, I feel like it has a lot to do with what you said. I know uh, Doc Loveman in the past has mentioned about putting something saying something about a paper on the internet and it being construed or taken as a publishing and to like avoid things like that and i know that a lot of these big symposiums and conferences they charge they make money off of it you know so why would anyone go to a symposium to gain the knowledge and do the networking when they can just watch it later on for free you know what I mean? I don't know if that plays a factor. I'm sure it does to a certain extent. So, even if it was something that you you bought to download, yeah, yeah. Like if they broke it down into the you know the various speakers and stuff, I'm sure people would cherry pick which ones they wanted to buy and which ones they didn't. Like, sure, if they were five or ten bucks, I'd, I'd oh, buy yeah. some of those. I'm sure. I have no doubt. I'm sure there's more than that. But yeah, you know, I just it's kind of a bummer because. A lot of the uh, some of the talks and presentations are considered copyrighted materials. That makes sense. Yeah, Cusco was posting the ones from uh, Herpeton, I believe, is the ones that Jeff's talking about. Okay, which was cool. Uh, I don't know. That was pre-COVID, I think, the last one they did. If I'm not mistaken. So yeah. I don't know if that's coming back or not. But they did. I think they did stream those, or they posted them after after the fact. And that was that was cool because Mutton did a talk and um, a couple other people, but I don't know, man. I'm starting to wonder if if we're kind of getting to a point to where that kind of stuff is kind of getting left in the dust as far as the hobby goes. If that if that makes sense. What do you mean? Like in the grand scheme of of her pediculture. You know, you have you have the people that are more serious or more invested in the overall experience of it. Like Sure, sure. You know, us, like we're into different species and we're into like the the whole thing, you know, like the right. the larger picture, we're all about it. Uh but given the sort of the YouTube era of things, instant I think gratification. There's a, there's a, not necessarily that, but there's a lot more casual herpeticulture. If that makes yeah. it. the people that don't have big collections or they don't have really diverse collections, you know, they have kind of their their couple of things, and that's what they keep. And maybe they don't have a ton of animals like that stuff. The 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 scientific side of it or the academic side of it, be it you know, conferences and things like that. I don't, that's not going to appeal to, to yeah. a lot of that crowd, I would think. So I wonder if it's like that broader interest and appreciation in her pediculture as a whole, like, is that starting to, to sort of shrink in terms of the number of people that are, that are in it? I think they'll always be there. It's almost like the, the carpet yeah. thing of like pure versus, people sure. that are into just Frankensteining things like there's always going to be this subsection of people that are into the pure stuff like that is what they're that's what they do they have no interest in Frankensteining things I think that can be applied to, to this like you're always going to have the 
like the hardcore nerds that are all about anything and everything they can right. with anything herp related. Yeah. I feel like that's that's the difference between individuals like you and I having the 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 Phil Leeds discipline and just the average hobbyist, you know. There's nothing wrong with being the average hobbyist or having a hobby with reptiles and there's people like us that it's our life. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that by by any means. I just long term, I just wonder if the like that the conferences and those things like that are are gonna slowly sort of drop off and i see and see i don't think they're gonna drop off i don't i feel like you're gonna see more places like the what was the the, what was the one that stefani just spoke at ihs i think is it ihs okay you have you have something like like ihs where the academics are bringing the herpetoculturists into the mm-hmm. fold because they're finally realizing now, is that going to be the norm? Probably not. You know, there's countless conventions and symposiums that people like us are, don't even know about because mm-hmm. we're out of that loop. But I do see it. I do see it growing in, in, in the, the Stefani way, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I also still see what you're talking about of how there's more people keeping in a hobbyist way that may not just give a crap at all. I don't need, I find that at least a little concerning. I don't know about you, but sort of the, I guess maybe the, dare I say the craft of it. Yeah. I don't know. See, Jeff said the talk at Carpet Fest on Nido that we posted pre-COVID was a really valuable resource. It'd be awesome to do more like that. And that was, yeah, that was one of those things where, like, when they they talked about doing the panel and stuff, I asked P. I was like, "Can I record this?" Because for that very reason, I was like, "I feel like there's going to be a lot of information that is going to answer a lot of questions that people have." Because that was also at the time where like Nido was sort of the 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 buzzword, and people were yeah. like freaking out about it. No one really knew much about it. Oh yeah, but. I was like, let me from the people that are actively studying this, like let can take that information and, and put it out there. Um and yeah, I mean it was it was just for that very reason. And that's I think it did its job. Um I'm yeah, sure even, there's a lot even people because that was like twenty oh, yeah. or I'm sure there's been way more knowledge gained on the topic, but even people like myself that are as layman as can be there's a lot that I had to look, relook over and, and, and Google and break out the dictionary, but it still gives us more knowledge than we had previously in all facets. So. Yeah. I just look at the, the bigger picture of, of the hobby and I won't necessarily say industry, but, and looking at it sort of long-term, with the way that that content is is being consumed now uh and part of it is that instant gratification and and the attention span definitely shortening um i don't know i'm not as not as optimistic about it as i probably should be but and see i i understand why you feel the way you feel i personally feel like 
what you're saying is there, but there is more people keeping reptiles and amphibians, at least in the United States, if not worldwide, than there has ever been. Yes, we have more people on the planet, but there's more people in our hobby than there's ever been. And for every handful of people that don't care about that and uh, that academic discipline crossover there's equal number of people that do so mm -hmm. see Walter said a big hug from mad island in the atlantic it's 3 a.m here but it's worth the wait to listen to you guys just because you're the best that's awesome Thank you. Thank you, Walter. That's so cool, man. I'm so jealous that, that O'Shea got to spend all that time in the Western Gats, too, man. Yeah, man. The guy's been everywhere. The guy's been everywhere, and he's seen so much. I think it's crazy that he hasn't seen all the North American rattlesnakes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, for people listening, sorry, spoiler alert. Let's see, Patrick said, some academics are coming around to the understanding that hobbyists are a reliable resource for herbs, which is something that, that O'Shea did touch on, which I thought was awesome. Um, that's always been this, I don't know where the that whole sort of, where that that chasm sort of came from between academics and and the private sector um i do think the private sector does have a lot to offer just in terms of like the hands-on aspect of of different species and stuff i don't know if the academic side of things is just bitter at the fact that a guy in the middle of nowhere in georgia has managed to breed some ridiculously rare species or something yeah, I'm sure that plays a factor. Uh, but I also, for every for every academic that sticks their nose up to herpetoculture, there's countless people in zoo sciences who are herpers themselves or keepers themselves and are you know changing that thought process over. There's just I think there's a lot of opportunity, man, for for both sides of that to to really be a, a resource for each other. You know, I don't think it's it's a one sided relationship at all where like academia can learn a lot from the private sector and we get nothing out of it. I think it's it's there's a lot that both both can gain. Um, you know, we're not talking about having to like give zoos animals and worry about quarantine and protocols and things like that. But like information wise, there's you know, there's a ton there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just such a bummer. But then we somehow have like zoo stock and collections and stuff. It's just like there's an there's an issue and the, the, they don't like the private sector. But then when they have too many animals, who do they who do they go to? Yeah, like who's the first right. person they call? You know, just or or we can't get this to breed or we can't get this to survive. So who do we call the private keepers? Yeah, but I, I do feel like it also comes from back in the day where uh, the zoo had them on you know horse straw and the private keepers had them on printed newspaper mm -hmm. you know so we've all come a long way 
See, Lisa said, I saw something on Facebook about a revised edition of the Invisible Arc. Was that just a joke? Do either of you hear anything about that? I have not heard anything about that. I'd be curious to, to know what they could add to that, though. I don't know what there was really to revise. I feel like it's still pretty relevant. Was it? Is it still in print? Is it maybe just a, a new version? A new print? It may just be a reprint. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look into that because I'm curious. I have my copy around here somewhere. Yeah, I feel like everyone should have at least a, a, a small paperback copy, you know. I got my copy off Amazon. I think it was used. I got it for like 10 bucks, and I got it, and it was signed. So I opened that, that cover, and there it was. Yeah, I mean, Dumas is a good example. He's a zookeeper, and he keeps and breeds tortoises. Um, yeah. You know, he's doing his thing. Um, Trooper Walsh, which you know, bringing him up the the chondros that that Justin has that he just hatched out, the sire to that clutch. Because basically, I texted him over the weekend and was like, "Give me the ID numbers for the parents, and I'll start getting like a lineage chart together with pictures." Because I was bored, didn't really have anything else. I had plenty of other things I could have done, but I didn't. Um, so I started working on that, and basically that's what I did with the lineage chart that I got for that animal I got from Brahms, that female. Cool. It is, like, freakishly fun to go and dig through <laughs> archives of MVF and, like, Signal Herb's website, which doesn't look like it's up anymore, unfortunately, um, and, like, trying to find pictures of these animals from freaking 20 years ago and, like, being able to do it, like, and put it together but i have this lineage chart for that male that that justin has that that was the sire to this clutch man and it goes all the way back to like 77 that's incredible i've that's never incredible. seen anything like it it's it's wild man like it, you don't see that anywhere else in herps like you yeah. don't people keeping track like that and that's one thing about chondros and the the chondro corner of the of the hobby that i have always appreciated is like people take that the lineage stuff and tracking it seriously yeah you yeah know? and it's so cool to be able to go back and see the grandparents the great-grandparents and to see stuff traced all the way back to like some of the original chondros that basically started the chondro hobby and to be able to go back and be like this little tiny worm on a stick is the result of 40 years of, of work. Yeah. You know, awesome. uh, it, it bothers me that back in those days, obviously the conjure guys knew it was up, but it bothers me that some of the other animals that we have today because of them, they, they didn't, they didn't learn from the bird people. They didn't learn from the horse people. Like, there are horse lineages that go back hundreds of years. You know what I mean? And why, why couldn't we have gotten on that mindset? I just don't understand why. I was thinking about it on my drive home today, actually, because I thought maybe we could talk about it a little bit, but yeah, like there's some species that I think it is, it is warranted. Uh, and then I, there's some species that I think it's not. And I think the ones where it's not are the species that you're getting very little variation in terms of phenotype you know like the i'm trying to think of a good example like rubber bows sure you're not sure. going to really keep track of the lineage of rubber bows because they all sort of look the same 
roster. I can see doing it from the aspect of like diversifying bloodlines if that's if that's an issue. Sure. But when you have something as phenotypically chaotic as Condors can be, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Emerald tree boas, I can see it being a thing, especially like northerns where there's a limited, you know, we don't have access to wild northerns like or uh, basins. Right. Um, that kind of stuff, it makes complete sense. Carpets. Um, I really think like I've been of the opinion for a while now that I it, it should be something I think that's seen more with corns. Yeah. Especially if you have specific hallmark animals you know like jt has, yeah, a, has that, a couple animals that really stand out where it's like you can look at that animal and know that that's that there's no other corn like it i'm not i'm not saying not to start now but that should have been done 15 20 years ago for sure because think about how many animals there are out there now specifically corns that people have genetics they don't know they have mm-hmm. and that and that that really puts a, a a wrench in the engine for guys like you and Chris trying to add to the collection and keep things going, keep things changing. And all of a sudden something pops out that you didn't think was even possible, be, not because it was a new line or a world's first or whatever, but because it carried that gene from 20 years ago that I would even realize that it was there, yeah. you know? Well, even from the aspect of like Sunkist corn, so Sunkist has popped up separate from like original Sunkist stuff and other things. Oh, really? So to be able to go back and be like, there was no original Sunkist in this mix at any point, but somehow we have some here. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, and then uh, and and stuff that people thought oh, we'll just get more next year. We'll just import more next year or in two mm-hmm. years when they reopen. So they didn't keep records. And now they're like, shit, we should have kept records. Like one thing that I don't think many people keep record of is Brazilian rainbow boas. Yeah. Because no one's brought a Brazilian rainbow boa in legitimately in decades because Brazil's shut down. Mm-hmm. So it would be really nice to have locality information, it would be really nice to have just bloodline location for diversity. So I think things like that, that people took for granted back then. Now we kind of pay the price in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. With Condors, Condors just fit that bill for, for that sort of lineage tracking, I think better than than really any other species. And it's because you have so many standout singular individual animals, um, you know, where you can see their, like, more or less their serial number on lineage and be like, I know exactly what animal that is. And you, like, it's crazy. Like, I, I'm i not even that good at it as far as remembering some of those animals by their number. Like, some of the signal herp stuff that, that Rico Walter had, they're known by their by their serial number. It'll be like, um, what's a big one? I think it's like SH0588 or 0188. Like, I can picture that animal in my head right now. And Andy Middleton is kind of the, the guy that's like the encyclopedia for for Condra stuff. Like you could rattle off a, a, a number like a you know TW zero five nine four or something. He'd know exactly what animal it was you're talking about. That's wild. It's crazy, man. I mean, 
I'm kind of glad people started bringing like names into the mix because it definitely makes that easier. Oh, sure, sure. And that is one of the reasons why I, you know, I started naming like the corns and stuff that I'm keeping around because when you're talking to people about it, especially like other people in the corn group, if I just say, uh, you know, what's a good example? Like that hypo pied blood red male. You know, like it doesn't really narrow it down, but if they've seen that animal's name, I think Aldo is his name, but like if you saw that, you would know, oh, I remember which animal that was. Like there's just yeah. an association that just makes it easier. Yeah, of course. Um, for the longest time, I was like the name thing outside of Conjures. I was like, ah, I don't know what the point is, but it has really made things easier. And I think Eric Westmoreland, he's he does that with a lot of his stuff, and it does make it easier to remember what animals and what pairings he's done because you just yeah. you build an association there. Um, yeah, dude, Madam Blueberry, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you know, or uh, or Eric, um, uh, what's um, uh, what's her face from the Breakfast Club? Um, Molly, no, Molly Ringwald. Jesus, thank you. You know, that's another that's another great animal. Benjamin. Yeah. That was yeah. a freaking killer animal, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Anybody Google these these snake names and you'll see what we're talking about. <laughs> it's awesome stuff, man. And those, then you are get, prime, those are prime examples because those are ones that stick out, you know? Yeah. 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 And I feel like it, it, for at least for me, you only named reptiles that were pets. And like that was just my thing is I, I really only named reptiles that were pets. And if you had 10 of the same gecko, maybe one of them stood out, really stood out. And you're like, oh, that's that's Larry. You know, Larry's uh, he's a good boy. Right. But. You really should name breeders, even if it's just for yourself, because then if it does turn into something, you're not just saying, you know, alpha 42 bred to gamma 16. No, yeah. it was it was it was Chuck met Larry or whatever, you know. I don't know. I it is uh like with the Condros, I put I put a lot of thought and time into what I end up naming them. Yeah. It's gotta sound it's gotta be cool, first of all. Like that's the number one rule. It's like you can't just name a Condro like car or something. Yeah. Generic. Yeah. Well, my uh, Mr. Green, my something like zero dark 30 or nice, nice. Yeah. My uh, my first pair of subox that I got were silver babies. The female passed away, but the male Anna Maria named it Boopkey because it just like you just wanted to boop it, you know. Mm -hmm. And dude, that name has stuck. And Boopkey is a savage, like he's he's my <laughs> garbage disposal subox, like any pinky or fuzzy that if it's if it's you know small meals you know but if somebody rejects i just give it to him he scarfs it down he's the one who always at the glass begging for more like dude boopkey's awesome so if time goes on and he turns out to be this stellar silver and he he's going to be my he's going to be my boy my, my main boy for that silver project i think that's a very memorable name as childish and, and cheesy as it may be specifically for that reason I mean, there's there's condos named Daddy Pants that are like series lineage, like 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Patrick said he just watched an interview with Bill Stiegel, and he has lineage for the sickness. Yeah, uh, and actually, going when you when you start keeping track of the lineage in Condros and stuff, especially like the designer stuff, there are like there's a lot of six degrees of separation going on with a lot of those. So like the sickness has a parent that is related to the male that Justin got this clutch from. Um, which it's also wild to see that and to see animals that someone has, you know, across the country that are related to some degree to animals that you have. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And I don't yeah, know. Man. I'm curious to see who, like, I'm wondering who really started that trend in Condros. I want to, I'm thinking it was probably Rico. Um, probably. Cause you just, you, it hasn't taken off in any other circles, you know, aside from, from Condros and carpets. Uh, and I'm, I'm always, I'm just so curious as to what the, sort of the original pro thought process was into, into starting that and doing that and making it a sort of standard practice. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's stuff I think about. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I feel like uh, if I bred more and I wasn't raising everything up, I feel like I'd probably have more names and better names. You know what I mean? So... Like certain things I won't name, like uh, the Hunter and Milksnake project with, with Billy Hunt and Vic Lerano. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to name them. You know, I only have a pair. It's a male and a female. And I'm sh I have the original ID cards and everything that Vic did. So that way we can really keep track of everything. But they're not going to be necessarily this. I mean, who knows? They could be. But was, in my mind, they're not going to be this crazy world's first right. weirdness. Right. It's more so to prove the genetics out on the adults that Vic has. So assuming he, he even named his. Let me pull this up. So I actually started a Google Drive folder that that has like Condor lineage for all the designer stuff I have. Pull it up. Side note. Again, these lineage charts are just fun as hell to, to make. Side note, this Alter Q is keeping perfect. Burning real good. Oh, yeah. Hasn't changed taste at all. The draw is perfect. I've only had to light it twice, and I keep putting the thing down. Like, it's just maintaining perfect temperature. So the, the heat hasn't even gotten to the back band yet. So Come on, computer. You can do it. So, like for the Star Scream, which is that female from Brahms. And did he name that or did you? I named it. Great name. Great name. This is like not even an in depth chart that I put together like on these signal herp animals up here on dad's side I think it also helps that chondros are uh, stationary if you will 
Yeah, yeah, that definitely. You know what I mean? Like yeah, and even and you get a great picture of the animal at hand. You, you get the dorsal, you get the the sides, you get the head, the head patterning and head structure, you get the tail patterning and structure, all from them being balled up on on the stick as they do, you know. And I can make this easier now with Photoshop than I could with Canva, but yeah, like signal animals. And then this Oshi female, so that's Ophiological Services high yellow line. Very and then cool. Vinsky blue male. But I made this, and then I sent it to David after I was done. I was like, "Dude, take this and use it." Yeah. And for those of you listening on your commute to work, uh, Justin took pictures of the parents, and then literally made a, a traditional family tree. Uh, with just black lines showing who got paired to who and who produced what, so has and the I name feel like number I, on I there. Put a ton of work into this one, but the one that I'm working on uh, for Olson is like way more in depth. Yeah. And then I have pictures of the parents in their own folders within that folder. Um. Let me see, here's another one from this is one of the ones from Luke. I don't think I actually made the uh chart for this one, <laughs> but pictures of it as a baby, nice pictures of the dam, pictures of the sire. Uh, I'll take screenshots of the information that is sent to me, or if I find something online about that particular animal, I'll screenshot that and save it. Cool, um, cool. so like I, I, the reason actually, the reason I stopped i couldn't get lineage done on this is because finding pictures of jewel and zulu i could not dig any of those up i tried i didn't hit up keith who who bred that that dam okay um, and he didn't have any pictures of it so all right uh, Lisa is in the group chat says that Amazon tree bows would be a great pick for lineage because they're so variable. I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Skylar's saying that he tries to keep, uh, names for the animals somewhat relevant to the, you know, the specimen at hand, which I think is also plays a key factor. And, uh, Ish is getting upset with you because you're giving him chondro fever. Yeah. But it doesn't matter which which animal um, it is. Like if I can get pictures of the parents as far as chondros go, like I want to stockpile all that as best I can. And Google Drive is a great great tool for that because I can access it on my phone. It's not on like a hard drive dedicated. Um, yeah. Yeah. You so access this, it anywhere. This animal's turned out really nice, but the parents in this one, like especially the male, mm -hmm. who's the top one here. Oh, yeah, look at those blues. Really nice cyclops. Very cool. And the female is just a beast. Very cool. Yeah, I have a Google Drive for um, <laughs> uh, for locality information on wrinkles, and I basically have it by country and then by region. And, uh, dude, it, it, it helps me learn all I can. You know, I've even messaged people in Snake ID groups and been like, "Hey, can I steal these photos from my Google Drive?" And they're like, mm -hmm. "Yeah, why do why do you want this blurry cell phone picture from a golf course?" I'm like, "That nah, don't worry about it." <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that was just a screenshot from David's Instagram post on that pair. Yeah. You know, like, it doesn't have to be all professional level pictures. It's just if there's information there, instead of me wanting to have to, like, type it out, um, you know, it's it's just, it exists. Yeah, man. Dude, I got to call that kid. I haven't talked to him in, like, years. Yeah, I don't know. He kind of just fell off the face of the earth. Well, he moved away from me. He moved to Orlando, and uh, I'm pretty sure he sold off most of his stuff to Socrates. So I got to get back oh, okay. with him and, and see what he's got, if he's doing anything at all. Mm-hmm. I love Condros. Yeah, it's super cool, man. Look at that yellow belly. I haven't looked at some of these in a while. Oh, yeah, this dam was nice. That animal was like the spitting image of that female, too. Wow. So velvety. Awesome. Got that, yeah, that same just electric blue. Yeah. And look at the difference, though, from like outdoor pictures to indoor pictures. Like it does make it make a difference, man. Oh, yeah. Brings out so much more. I like it. Looks great. Trying to make more. Damn it. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. Oh, so like Adam Dance, which is the one of Luke's latest creations. Let me share this again, damn it. Again, I had to like hunt down photos and it's got the stupid photo bucket watermark on it, but Oh, that stinks. This, you could probably uh, recreate that though. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean like Pygar and Joan Collins, like those are awesome animals that are freaking incredible. Uh, yeah. lemon tree stuff is ridiculously awesome, even though you don't really see it anymore. Um Mr. Blue's brother, like that was Mr. Blue was like the original blue blue chondro. Uh, little Stevie was an awesome snake. Yeah, Lisa was making a comment about uh, imagine a lineage chart for Southern White Lips, and then Jeff was saying that you know she and Owen and the other Lyasis superstars should do it. You know, make it happen. Start compiling. It's not like Google Drive costs anything, you know? Yeah, see, this this animal, this, the sire to this, this baby is freaking nuts. I want to say it was a John Irby animal. Wow, look at that thing. Just the yellow so belly the, and the flecking and the... Oh. Yeah, so that's the grandsire. cat but uh folder with personal notes from pairing um joe girl was i believe the grand dam that was from james opdahl if i'm not mistaken too 
she was, I think, from the barn originally, and then James ended up with her. She was somehow or the other, maybe James had her, and then he sent it to the barn. Or It gets to be a lot to keep up with. But Yeah, it always makes me wonder, too, is that these are the choice specimens that people, what's the word I'm looking for? Recorded, right? How many other clutch siblings, clutch mates are out there floating around? Like floating around, yeah. That like that like somebody who bought a pet, you know, or a friend of a or somebody who is a, a a person in depth in our community and said, Oh man, I got too many chondros. Hey, neighbor Bob, you like snakes, you know. Right. Here, take this, you know, enjoy it. It's it's healthy. And then, you know, what who knows what Bob does with it or whatever, you know. I like it a lot. Of course, Billy Jenkins says, breed it to a carpet. Get out of here, Jenkins. Yeah, don't breed it to a carpet. <laughs> don't do it, Jenkins. You Satan worshiper. Hey. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. <clears throat> it won't stop. <laughs> Carpondros are cool. I will I will having seen Billy Hunts, like they're neat. I don't see myself owning any, and I don't see myself trying to make any, but for what it is, I appreciate them. I was actually kind of annoyed in our other group chat with Matt Most that you didn't take the bait when I talked about breeding a uh, Clarecus to a Chondro. You know why that was? Well, because one's an egg layer and one's not? No, because the whole concept <laughs> was so outlandish. It was like, yeah, all right. All right, all right. If you had chosen something a little closer <clears throat> to home, like, oh, you should breed a Brettles to, to a green tree, I would have been like, what are you doing? <laughs> well what's the what's the the joke name for the chondro to a uh rough scale battle carpet ba yeah battle carpet something like that <laughs> like, so awesome. eric eric burke finally sent me a picture of one of those and i gotta say i was i was underwhelmed oh really and i mean he kind of told me he's like they really don't look like anything spectacular and i was like no way they gotta look cool and it really doesn't look that great. No, no. Just a brown snake on a stick. Which it still blows my mind that those things are so closely related. Yeah, right. Like it doesn't. Let me see. I might have the picture still. I'll find it. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's super cool. Now Tim Morris is texting me pictures of him with Marco Shea. <laughs> nice. Nice. Is he listening right now? He might be. I mean, he must be if he's sending me that. Oh, yeah. Touche. Say, get him to send you some more lineage picks. Let's see here. Yeah. It says he Thank wants God. imperial corn, but hybrids are too taboo. I'll tell you, hybrids Wait, are taboo. Imperial but... 
corn? Uh, that is a. Oh man, it's a it's a morph like corn. A I it's a, it's a it's a it's a morph of some kind of corn to a tricolor. Now I tell you, one of the coolest snakes I ever had was I had a Jurassic corn, or is a Jurassic king snake, which is a a corn snake to a chain king, and dude, that snake was the coolest man. I miss that snake. Yeah, Honduran, I'm uploading it to my drive right now. The battle, the battle carpet or chondra, or whatever they're called now. Nice. You see here. Yeah, Jeff said uh, the Imperial is a Honduran to a corn. They're not really like so. I would I won't say they're like taboo, taboo. I don't know why I did that. Uh. It's just that it's the fact that eventually they somehow end up getting put into the mix with other stuff. And then it's yeah. not told that they get, you know, how per- pervasive of a problem that really is. Who's to say? Um, but that's just that's always my concern. I mean, yeah, like at first they're going to be clearly hybridized animals. But the more you breed one way or the other into more corns or more milk snakes, the harder it is to tell. Yeah. Well, so that's how don't we're not gonna talk about that. It's not how we got Tezzer. But I, I, ref, I refuse. Yep, so here it is in all its glory. Oh wait, no. That's just bloated to Coronata, but that's that's clearly like a chondro head, no? No, it just looks like a normal Coronada. That does not look like a normal Coronada. I mean, it's more chondro, or excuse me, more carpety. I don't know. Maybe he sent me the wrong one. I mean, it's cool looking, but. Yeah, the hybrid, like the whole sort of subsection of people that are so hell-bent on all the hybrids and stuff, I just find odd. To me, it's a practicality thing. You know, it's like people are going to breed berms to to ball pythons or blood pythons to carpets or something weird like that. And I'm like, what's the the end end goal here? Because it always boils down to like just because we could and we were just curious to see what it looked like which yep, Ian Malcolm to me just doesn't seem like a a reason to put that much effort in on your part and the animal's part to, to go that far but if that's what you're into I mean go go nuts but to me I just like I can't wrap my head around the like what the point is yeah I've always actually been yeah. I've been kind of intrigued with naturally occurring integrates like a cottonmouth copperhead like to me i think that's fascinating you know or a um an eastern dime back to a cane break i think that's extremely fascinating um but i don't think i would actually do it um yeah for a while i dabbled with some bitus 
and I got no luck. So, oh well. But even though, like, I don't know, I, I never see, I, I never see a hybrid or an intergrade that builds upon how good both species look like it's not an improvement if that makes sense yeah like everyone who makes gabinos yeah west african gaboon to a rhino viper they never they never breed the gabinos back it's just like a pet Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i I would i would be very intrigued to see what the f2s look like what do you think the albinos are going to look like as adults the albino west african gaboons yeah Oh, they're going to be washed out. I've seen them. You think they're just because to me, I'll, I you know, like they look great and stuff when they're small, but I feel like as adults, they're just going to end up looking like a giant fleshy sausage. No, so so the adults keep the butterfly pattern, they keep the geometric shapes, they keep the head markings. It's literally the exact same animal as an adult as it is a baby, but instead of being pink and orange and yellow, it's just like off white and Caucasian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're 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 cool, but like, I'm not an albino guy. I mean, I told you my my albino sublock is my only albino snake I've ever personally owned. So like, albinos just aren't my thing. Same thing with leucistics. The only leucistic I've really ever wanted was leucistic cottonmouth, and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't justify the price tag. I couldn't. Yeah, I, all those for me, especially like the the Lucy's and stuff. It's it's the main reason I'm also not really into palmettos and don't really have any desire to have palmettos, and you know we. We just talked to Alan Rock, who's who's all about palmettos, and he's doing a lot of cool stuff with it. Um, but at the end of the day, I still like how much how much more white can you make a snake? And see, that's like the thing. That, I don't like, even I feel like you're just you're just making the the freckles and the spots a different color. Like at this point, I don't. It, I don't to really... me, a palmetto with more patterning and more flecking is way more attractive. Because yeah. there's so there's so many bone white snakes, you know, but the palmetto is, is it it's attractive because of the flecking, mm-hmm. at least to me. But even in my like the in my a mail preferences and in corns and stuff, it's like I like candy canes like I don't want it to to start out nice and white as a baby and then just turn pink like. I want them yeah. to retain that high white. Like I, that's why I like the candy cane stuff so much, is because it holds on to so much of that white with the reds, and yeah, it doesn't kind of. Uh, I don't. So I got that that candy cane Tessera Daytona like two years ago, and it started out red and white, and it looked really good, and now like that red is just turning into orange, hmm. and it's like it's still gonna be a really good looking snake, but I'm like, man, I, I just look the same as you did as a baby. Damn it, stay the, so stay what? the same. So what was used to make Tessera again? The rumor is, and I don't think it was ever proven to be true, is that uh, I think Newport Kings, Cow Kings, were where that Tessera gene came from because they looked very, very similar. Okay. Um, but Chris has talked about it, and I, I, I forget exactly what he said, but basically he thinks that it's it's bullshit oh okay he thinks it's probably just a just an actual corn genetic yeah okay because yeah. that was always my curiosity too is when you have tessera obviously you get the patterning but what's the what's the primary color supposed to be 
whatever it's it not, is. It's not really a, it's not a color enhancing morph. It's a pattern. It's a pattern thing. But what were the original patterns? That's the question. Like, was it normal orange, red, black checkerboard belly? Or was it something else like a caramel or something? Well, I don't know. I have to go back and look. Because I'm sure there's, there's something on forums about it, I'm sure. Yeah, because something yeah, is playing a key. Yeah, something is playing a key factor in your candy cane tessera losing the red. Something, something is there to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, the thing there could be that it's just like that line of candy cane in particular wasn't like the Miami influence just wasn't very strong. Okay. Um, it could have been like a, a really half-assed Miami or something or something that wasn't fully Miami that was paired to to that. Who knows? I mean, it, yeah, there's no time. But Kasiki said, no, the body and head shape would be different. And yeah, I I agree. But... I think I like Okati Miami corns. It is. It is a thing. Miami makes makes a lot of stuff better, man. Like the classic Miami that people come to think of when they think of Miami corns. Apparently that doesn't exist, according to Phil. It's not real. I mean, I've seen a lot of corns from Miami and they didn't look like that. <laughs> so <clears throat> I have some. I have a pair of caramel Miamis from Chris that are those things. Just every shed, man. They're that's why one of the things I like about corns, dude, is they they age like a like a fine box of wine. Yeah, the um, I'm actually excited for my Broward corns. I, I think I'm going to try and do them this year. That uh, I was waiting for the mail to sh the wild caught mail to shed to make sure that it looked at least similar because they're probably there it is there it is yes um, that's they, right matt they, adam join me they were found probably 40 miles apart which i know doesn't seem like a big distance in the grand scheme of things but the male shed and he is almost the spitting image of the female so the uh I'm, mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what, what what that produces and even if it just makes normal south florida corns who cares somebody will love them fun fact adam ivory is currently the only person that has one of my het castagna motley corns because ah. he's a man of taste <laughs> Jeff said back in the late 90s, we called Miami Corns, uh, what we called Miami Corns had gold background, and now they're known for the silver background. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my Broward stuff has definitely got high yellow. But they look good. I'm, I'm curious if you breed those. In my experience with the Ladies Island stuff, breeding those together and creating more F1s, um, the babies regardless of if they were from one sire or the other, like they did not disappoint. There was definitely one sire to that same female where the babies overall, I think came out and looked a little nicer, but even the stuff that, that Jake has from 2021 and the male that he just gave back to me from 2021, like that's still a really good look at snake. Like it's definitely an improvement 
like yeah. a, a nice step up. Not it's a subtle step up, but it is a step up from those parents. Um, so I'd be curious to see how those how those look too. The F ones and yours. Yeah, and uh, Mike Kosicki has a South Florida corn that is very very reminiscent of mine. And he says he's had it for years, and it's because remember I'd asked you about my female being you know big enough because the age was there, and he was reassuring me that it's yeah. just a smaller it's just a smaller animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I, I think what everyone said, you know, just get a little more weight on her, and I think she's good to go. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. I am all I've been really curious. And maybe someone's done it, maybe someone hasn't, but those uh, South Mountain corns, yeah, from the North Carolina locality, dude, that would be so cool. Into to have one that. of those classic Miamis, though, because phenotypically they're very similar, but they're from vastly different areas, right? I'd be really, really curious to see what pairing those would would pop out. Yeah, man. Yeah, that would be that would be very cool. That's the the problem with corns, man. There's just too many directions you can go. Yeah, and Jeff's saying that the stuff. gold the gold Miamis were known for topping out at three or four foot, so that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm trying to see. Yeah, Sky, send me that. Sky said there was a wild caught corn in Florida, and it looks exactly like Tessera. Really? But could that just be someone's pet that got loose? I mean. If you found them in the wild, it's technically wild caught. <laughs> sure. Yeah, here's um. I don't know how well this is going to show up without me doing screen share, but here's the girl. Yeah. See, that's just that's such a good looking snake, man. And uh, slap some buff into that or something. Oh my I was God. actually, dude. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how natural buckskin. Mm-hmm. It actually sucks that in this photo yeah, you kind of see what's that? It's it's funny that I talk about like hybrids and Frankensteining things, but when I see locality corns, I instantly think like, "What morph would I plug into that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, what I was gonna say is, it's funny because everyone's saying about putting some weight on her, and like in that photo, like you can kind of see like her back a little bit. She's not skinny. And I feel like it's just her whipping around in my hands because she's a psychopath. She thinks she's a king snake. That gives that image, but I, I, I'm still going to do it regardless because it, it can't hurt, you know. So, like with that in particular, for a female that was that would be like that for me, it would be feeding her up so that when she lays, she's back at that. She looks like yeah. that. She's back yeah. at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good point. Good point. Just good making point. sure she has the resources and stuff to handle it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those would make killer stripe or motley animals. Honey motley, classic Miami. Yeah. Honey. Yup. Boy, I'm going to be producing some honeys next year. <laughs> that female, that honey stripe that I got at Daytona two years ago. Yeah. She's going to be ready to go. She's going to that that honey Miami honey motley or Miami Miami honey tessera male from JT. 
that clutch is going to be a banger. Did you get the Buckskins two Daytonas ago, or was that Jake? That was Jake. That was Jake. Okay. What's he doing with those? Those now live at Chris's house. Ah. Little horse trading. Yeah. Yeah. He gave Chris first dibs on them, and then he was like, if Chris doesn't want them, you can have them. I was like, okay. So. Cool. Yeah. Corn snakes for everyone, man. Castagna. Stop sleeping on it. All he is. All right, I got to ask because I, I keep forgetting to ask. A, where's the name come from? And B, why is it pronounced the way it's pronounced? It's German. It's German for chestnut. Really? Because that's where that... So originally, Castagna, as we know it, popped up in Germany. Okay. But then if you see mahogany, that is sort of considered like the U.S. version of Castagna even though they're pretty much the same. I think they do look a little different. Like they're, they're definitely not exactly the same. I think okay. it's the same morph. It just came from two separate bloodlines. Okay. You know, somehow or another. Um, and then there's a couple, there's like another morph called copper that you like, you, you never see that's in that same ballpark and then Java, which I think is a combination with something else, but you also don't really see that hardly at all um but yeah i mean castagna is how it's pronounced proper but castani is what a, or, you know how it's the u.s pronunciation i'm sure yeah. but what happened to bairds bairds are still awesome and i still have those too i have way more castani right now than i have bairds that's crazy Dude, like straight up i have we got to be coming up on at least like maybe a third to half of the corns I have are either Castagna or Het. Wow. I freaking love that morph. I'll talk about it all day long. I'll shout it from the rooftops. People are probably sick of me talking about it, but I don't yeah. care. It's a gorgeous morph. Root beer. Pass. <laughs> Hybrid swill. Jesus. Tell us how you really feel. I don't know why it I just the fact that it's not a hundred percent what it's supposed to be just bugs me. I feel you. But at the same time, I've gotten into like the ultramel stuff, which is also not a hundred percent corn snake. They say ultramel or ultra came in from uh, some gray rat hybrid corns and mike is saying that the the german castanias are incredible no one's brought any over no they have oh okay okay i think i don't know if he's meaning like straight from the tap german castanias yeah. i don't like i got so i got a group of five from eric westmoreland last year and they're all clutch mates and just the the diversity and in, in look in those five is pretty ridiculous like i've got some there's two in particular that are like super saturated and then there's a couple that are like super pale and that peach is just starting to creep in and then i got that castagna which is from like a mahogany line from alan at daytona this year and that thing just really rustles my jimmies when i look at it 
and it's they just they look so good. Yeah, they look so good, Phil. I don't think you understand how good I, these I, things I look. I don't. I don't understand. But I am going to need you to say Castagna with a German accent from now on. Castagna. Castagna. Yeah. The um, it's wild because Eric had those Castagnas on Morph Market for a while, and nobody bought them because as babies they come out and they look like anneries okay like black saddles silver background color like they look like a run-of-the-mill annery and nobody picked them up but i got them and they had that first shed or second shed maybe third and oh my god just this yeah. blushing starts coming out starts guys, like that first third send me pictures bro because and I'm then not, it's I'm just, just not seeing it <laughs> i'm trying to paint you a picture I'm trying to bob ross it yeah okay and i dude i love brown snakes i do but the, mm. the, the castagna that i saw like on instagram and stuff i was like meh so yeah i need you to send Whoa. me pictures of yours where were you looking i mean this was craigslist google have you seen <laughs> the mandarins yeah, the Amel Castanias. No, I have not Again, seen that. Me, as not a big Amel guy overall. Chris sent me that that Mandarin female, and like within like the first two weeks that I had it, it shed. And then once it shed, I was like, okay, now it nice. makes sense. Now I get nice. it. And that snake, dude, again, like every single one of them, when they shed, they just get better and better and better. And that's one of the things about corn snakes that's awesome is like, unlike ball pythons that come out looking great and then just depreciate in phenotype over time, like corns, for the most part, just get better and better. Like a fine wine. That's right. Super red Texas rats like to breathe. Jake had some like... He got some Texas rats from Chris that were this odd, like, brick red. I'll have to hit him up and ask him about those, Jeff, because he those things. I remember most of the time when Jake gets stuff, I have it delivered to me at work because someone's always there. And so when he when they come in, like, you know, I'm like, you want me to open the box to make sure everything's alive? And he's like, yeah, sure. And so, like, he got some of those Texas rats. Not that it was last either earlier this year or last year. I remember opening that box and being like, oh, like I had no real desire to do anything with Texas rats. But then I saw those. I was like, okay. Yeah. I can get on, I can get on board with this. They were freaking smoking. Mike said Everglade rats are cool. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Someone made some crack in the group chat yesterday about really. Castanias basically being like a subpar Everglades rat, and I took serious offense to that. I would say that they're completely different animals, and Everglades are superior. You can you can lie to everyone else, Phil, but you can't lie to yourself, dude. It gets bigger, it gets redder, and it's not a lunatic. What's not to love? Castanias aren't lunatics. Well. Most of them, <laughs> dude. That freaking Castagna Motley that I got from Mike. I open the tub and that thing is coming at me, mouth open, out of the tub, onto the floor, chasing anything that moves like that. I could not feed that snake enough. Like that thing is such a freaking demon when it comes to movement and food. Like nice. 
it's ridiculous. He literally just shoots out, hits the floor, and then just starts going after my feet. Like, <laughs> trying. I'm like, oh my god! And then Mike was like, yeah, he was like that with me too. But I've been able to hold, like, handle that snake without any issues. But now it's just like getting to the point, and I'm wondering if that's why that whole clutch of his is so like psychotic, as they picked up the freaking crazy gene from dad because didn't come from mom quite possibly but good lord man i've never had a corn like it he's just it's like having an eastern king all over again (laughs) it's good stuff man it's good stuff he's got that that meth propeltus in him nice nice i have a proven female corn that you may want for your castagna project almost solid orange female what is she? I need to get rid of corns before I take on more corns. I'm supposed to be getting some corns from Chopek. <laughs> oh my god! I'm trading some beards for corns from Chopek. That's something. Dude, I'm. I don't know how I feel about you having more corns than beards. You're the beard eye king of the south. I'm just. I'm taking a year off from beards next year. That's all. I'm just you know. okay. Gotta you don't invade Normandy on a whim. Okay. It requires okay. planning. Yes. And it requires strategy and convergence. Okay. Smithy requires three corns for every one he sells. Shut up. That Adam. is very true. <laughs> I'm not gonna disagree, even if I don't like it somehow happens because I'm also I'm getting a pair of those Spring Island corns too at some point here soon anybody wants to buy some corns I've got some make you a sweet deal Uh, hit me up on that note where are the two hour mark buddy we are and I got a whole clutch another clutch of of hypos that are going to be het blood red het pied that are also going to need some homes. So, which I've got a couple bangers in that first clutch that I'm definitely got to at least hold on to one or two of them. So, <sighs> Bought her as a name, Elbred or two in Okatee and got all Okatees with a red flare, but one was sort of hypo slash mask looking. I have an adult female bear too. Wonder if she might be like red factor or something. Maybe. I don't know. Yes, uh, this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out Facebook, Instagram. Use code THN at checkout. Save yourself some money. Get yourself something nice. Then use that same code THN at checkout on fullviceapparel.com. That's THN Theodore Henry Ned. And Puget Sound Pythons. Give them a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Hunt them down on Morph Market. See what they've got. Check it out. Don't forget about so we'll be our back with newest. on Thursday. Go on. Nothing. We'll be back at THP on Thursday. Uh, don't forget about our newest affiliate. Cold blooded caffeine. Go check them out. Get yourself some brew. Use the link below in the description. Yes. 
we get a little something something if you use that link and then you buy something yes and in case you showed up late to this episode a new episode of venom exchange radio episode 18 with professor marco shea is hot off the press so the go give it a listen shea. And for everyone who stuck around this long, I just made a brand new Facebook page for Venom Exchange Radio, and we're going to put up all the links for everything on there. So if you want to go give it a like, I won't stop you. Try and stop me. Try and stop me. Mike asked how the baby rhinos are doing. Um, They're difficult. That's all. They're tiny, which makes it even more difficult. Thank you all.